The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rock. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from yesterday. So if you missed that and you'd like to catch it, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern, at which time he'll be live in that little area right there. On the right side of the page is where we are. Click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you got, and then look for the rumble icon bottom right-hand corner. Click on that and join us in the chat. We've got a few friends over there this morning. Good to see everyone. I'm assuming rumble's messed up because I see some names who are missing who are usually in there. So I don't know. Yeah, rumble's got its issues, that's for sure. Uh <laughs> In any case, we're streaming live over there to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. And yes, we're live. Um, my grandson and, and uh, my son-in-law and daughter are here. Uh, and he apparently just woke up. So if you hear him making noise, it's just part of the home life here. <laughs> uh, as they spent the night with us last night. But we're happy about that. We're glad that they're here. Uh, in any case, we are streaming live to Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Please subscribe to the channel over there. We'd appreciate that. Uh, very, very much. And then also we're streaming uh, live to BeforeIt'sNews.com. BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page there. And Michael Roach and his team have been kind enough to give us a platform over there. We thank them for that as well. Right up under where we're streaming live on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, uh, you can sign up for an email newsletter that goes out once a day, usually in the evening between 7 and 8. Uh, sign up for that. You'll get all the articles we have out on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, including the Morning Show Archive. And again, this is yesterday's Politics Without Religion Impossible. And I got a friend from I got a message from my friend Frederick yesterday. He goes, you ought to do one religion without politics. And I thought that's brilliant. Okay, we can flip it right back around. So we're, that's what we're going to do today. Religion without politics, it's impossible. It really is. Um, and you'll see why in just a little bit, at least from the Christian perspective. But I'll tell you what, it happens in every religion, whether you're an atheist, a hu- not an atheist, whether you're a humanist, a Marxist, a Islamist a communist, whatever you are, a Buddhist, a Shintoist, 
All of that, they play off of one another. Your worldview constructs how you govern yourself and how if you set up a governing body, it's going to be driven by that worldview. Okay, so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, with that said, uh, I did want to draw your attention just to, to one thing I found kind of comical. This was um, <clears throat> this was out yesterday. This is uh, this KJP, this Kareem Jean Pierre. I guess they call her KJP because I think it sounds cool. I, I guess that's what's going on there. I, I don't know. And this was by Robert Spencer, but it was the video that gets me. I mean, this arrogant little chick, I mean, she... She's numbered in the box of hammers. I mean, literally, to get someone who can't answer questions at a press conference and then won't answer questions when posed to her, and she wants respect, and she's the first black lesbian R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z person or whatever, and that's supposed to mean something here is ridiculous. But I, I want you to hear this. It, many of you probably have heard this. A lot of you are up to speed with things. But I want you to listen to what this chick says about being a part of history. A year in this role, there's been a couple of things that, I, that has made me incredibly proud. Many things, many things that made me incredibly proud to be at that podium uh, during this historic moment. Again, this Pride is a historic administration. I'm a historic figure and I certainly walk in history every day. But this is also a historic making administration because of this president. Uh, yeah, it's, it's historic, all right. <laughs> The lawlessness abounds in this administration, and the idiocy abounds in this one right here. Um, the stupid is strong with her. I mean, it really is. Uh, this idea of pride, this idea of promoting herself. I'm a historic figure. You know, I, I think when history's written, they probably won't even mention her. They'll mention Biden, but they won't mention her. She'll be a nothing because she's basically nothing now. She's a joke. She's a laughing stock. When she comes to the podium, I don't see how she does it, but she has so deceived herself to think of herself as important that she thinks, well, I'm so, I, I'm, I'm an historic figure and all of this kind of, I mean, who does that? Who does that? Who thinks like that? Well, narcissists certainly do that. That's for sure. But anyway. Just wanting to bring that one out. That one you can find at sonsoflibertymedia.com. All right, so what I want to do is I want to start out today. Let's just, since we're going to flip it back around, we're going to say religion without politics is impossible. Let's, uh, let's define the terms here. So the term politics, we go to well, Webster's 1828. Here's what we see. The science of government, that part of ethics which consists in the regulation and government of a nation or state, for the preservation of its safety, peace, prosperity, comprehending the defense of its existence and rights against foreign control or conquest, the augmentation of its strength and resources, and the protection of its citizens and their rights with the preservation and improvement of their morals. Politics as a science or an art is a subject of vast extent and important. That's Noah Webster. So I just want to I just want to make sure we understand it's not the politics of poly many and ticks blood sucking <laughs> creatures uh, that's often joked about, uh, but rather it's the science of government. It's how do we govern? And first of all, we have to look to govern ourselves, right? Nobody else is going to govern us. We've got to govern ourselves. 
And so when the scripture talks about Jesus coming and it talks about the government being upon his shoulder, he's talking about all governments, whether it's individual, whether it is of nations, whether it is of communities, of families, of his ecclesia, whatever the case may be, that he is the one who governs them. And he does that through means. He doesn't just, you know, do it. There's, there's no uh, uh, people put in positions to take care of certain things like judges or elders or deacons or any of this stuff. No, he, he just does it. He doesn't do it all on his own, just, you know, apart from men. He has means that he uses in governing, just like the gospel message. I believe the gospel message, I believe that the gospel message goes out to dead sinners. And it is a it is a means of awakening sinners. It is a means of quickening them, making them alive. And so we give that gospel message in hopes that God might do for the sinners that we tell it to the same that he did for us, that he might make them alive as well. And that's part of his governing. That's part of how he subdues his enemies is through the gospel. But he doesn't just leave them in a state of, okay, I turn from my sin, now what do I do? He leads them on in that. He leads them on in the fullness of repentance. He leads them on unto good works, Ephesians 2.10. He doesn't just leave them either in their sin, nor just saved from their sin in a moment of time. He is constantly working to shape them and conform them to the image of Christ, is what Paul says. That's what, his, that's what he's doing now. The reason that we're still here, somebody asked me that when I talked about the, the work of God and the, the fulfillment that Christ brought with the scriptures. How, how does it, you know, why does it, he just take something? Well, because he's doing something. He's doing something in the people and he's revealing something about himself. Again, God's not an idolater. He's bringing glory to himself, not to us, not to somebody else, not to other gods, but to himself. And with that said, Let's start in the Old Testament, and then we'll make our way to the New, because this applies in the New Testament too, okay? That God is governing, and you cannot escape having a worldview, a religious worldview, and all of us have it. Somebody can say, I don't want religion. Um, you, if, if you watched um, Dave Jose, if you, if you watched the encounter he had with that attorney for four hours he sits there and he keeps he's bringing up god he keeps bringing up you know the christian faith and this that and the other and the the attorney's like ah, i you know let's not get into religion this that and the other but he shows him just like we looked at yesterday the state constitutions all of them are acknowledging right off the bat virtually all of them are acknowledging in the preamble that god exists they give thanks to him for his divine guidance his divine providence He's the legislator of the universe, is what one of the uh, one of the state constitutions read. He's the lawgiver. That's what that means. He's the lawgiver. So let's begin here and let's take a look at um some things. I'll remind you, Genesis chapter nine. Uh, Noah was there, and then after the flood, what did we see? We saw a we saw a law given and a punishment. We talked about. Or God said, if, if a beast takes the life of a man, then the beast is going to be slain. If a man takes the life of the man, then by man his blood would be shed. That was the recompense for violating that command, for violating that law of killing. 
And so we come over into Exodus chapter 18, before the law is given, okay? And we've got this scene with Moses and his father-in-law, okay? So let's take a look at that. We're just going to pick it up here. Um, actually, let's just back up here, and we'll read, we'll read the text here. So we get a lot of context as to what's going on and what's happened here. Verse 1. Then Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel as people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father said he was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses under the wilderness where he encamped at the Mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law Jethro, am come unto thee and thy wife and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt, Proudly he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came, and all the elders of Israel, to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law and before God. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from, from the morning unto the evening. So he's sitting there providing judgment for the people. And they're there from the time they get up to the time they go to bed. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou self alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning until even. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. You know, God's given me, he's talking to me, he's showing me things, and they want to know. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God, and his law. So he's teaching them in the process of judging between them. That's what good judges do, by the way. That's what good preachers do. That's what good Christians do. They learn and then they teach. They make disciples, right? That's what we're supposed to do. That's our command. So that's what's there. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, the thing that thou doest is not good. It's not that it's not that Moses wasn't good in his intent and was, he, it wasn't efficient for him to sit there all day and have these people come. That's not good for Moses. So hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward that thou mayest bring the causes unto God and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, Thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Why, why do they need to do that? So they won't be those who can be easily bribed. 
And we talked about bribes the other week, didn't we? And place such uh, over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all seasons. So <clears throat> Moses, take these men that you're going to find. They have to be able men. They have to fear God. They have to be men of truth. They have to hate covetousness. Okay. That's basically the character qualities of these men. And they have to be known for this. And he appoints them, right? Rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge between the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter that shall bring unto thee, that they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So if it's if it's pretty plain, straightforward, they got the law there, they can look at it and say, okay, yep, this guy's right. You're wrong. There needs to be restitution or whatever needs to happen there. That's what these guys can handle. It's only if it's something complicated or something that isn't really spelled out in the law that we'll take it to Moses, right? So it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. And so Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And he chose these men out, right? And he set them up. So we see even early on, before the law is given, because the law doesn't come to chapter 20. Before the law is given, Moses is already instructed on how to set up a government, if you will, of men. And I want you to pay close attention to this, you guys who are voting out there. He didn't say, whoever has the slickest smile, the best hair, the nicest suit, has been great in business. Um, has a lot of money, is part of the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or any of this kind of stuff. That's not what he did. He focused on the character of the men who were to help him. There'd be men of truth. They had to fear God. They weren't covetous. They're character issues of the men. Those are the men who fill those positions. Now, if you're like most people today, you just go, well, I agree with what he says, and that's all that matters to me. I don't care that he is a womanizer. I don't care that he was an adulterer. I don't care that he was a fornicator. I don't care that he was involved in bribery or embezzlement or, you know, he, he was a, a guy, a slave to debt or any of this other stuff. I, I don't care about that stuff. I don't care that he was involved with mob bosses or foreign entities. or I, I don't care about that. He just says what I want to hear. That's the way people vote today. That's the way they, they pick their, their tyrants. They're picking them for them, and they're picking them for their neighbors. Just so everybody's under, understanding, that's what you're doing when you don't pick good men of character. So Moses does this at the behest of his father-in-law, okay? Which is great. He follows that. It makes things a little easier for him to take care of and accomplish what he's got to do. Now, I'm going to reference this passage that we had from yesterday. Because this comes in the second giving of the law in the book of Deuteronomy. Again, we go to chapter 6. I'm just going to read this first part because we've read the other ones many times. But here's what he says. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, 
and that thy days may be prolonged. So right from the beginning, what does he say? He says, God has given to us commandments, statutes, and judgments. Now, I want to ask you something. Has God's commands been done away with? His moral commands? No, they haven't. They still, they still exist. Has God's statutes been done away with? His moral statutes of how men are to govern themselves? No, nope, they're still there. What about his judgments if you violate those commandments or those statutes? Nope, they're still there too. It's quite interesting to talk to Christians today. They, they get the word of God from everybody else but them, themselves going to it many times. And so they're easily swayed by this, that, and the other instead of going to the text themselves. And I see people do it all the time. When you start talking in a, about the law of God, sometimes they, they'll, they'll be like, right on with your brother, right, I got it, I got it. And then they'll come in and they'll go, oh, wait a minute, this judgment stuff, uh, we can't have that. We can't have the death penalty. We, and, and they're all for a prison system, which isn't found anywhere in Scripture. I had this guy listen to the show, and um, he said, I've got a way to fix you know, our problem, our debt, and this, that, and the other. The guy wanted to come in, and he wanted to take the prison system and turn it into a factory, which, <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you got to think, right off the bat, right there is fascism. That's going to be the state, and it's going to be business. Okay? That's, that's textbook fascism right there. Actually, it's closer to communism, because the state would end up owning all the products and the business done out of it, unless they partnered, they'd done their public-private partnership. But he says, we're going to do this, and then well, what we'll do is we'll try to bring the family back together, so we'll let the wife and the kids come in and spend the night with the, uh, the, the, the prisoner you know, maybe on the weekend or something like this. Can, can you imagine this? And this guy said that God gave it to him. God didn't give you this. It, no, it would be to do away with that system. It would be to bring judgment. And then it would be to have these guys come and to teach what they're supposed to teach and to do what they're supposed to do and quit breaking the law. But he was trying to pass that off as though God had had told him this stuff, and, and that's just nonsense. So let's take a look here. I want to uh, <clears throat> point you in the direction, again, of some promises that God made. And we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 9 for this. And here's the instruction to Solomon. Verse 1. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me, as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, 
and will keep my statutes and my judgments. See, the, the faith, the religion or that thing that they were bound to, which was their covenant with God, was predicated on their obedience to him. Okay? If they were obedient, they got the blessing. Right? Deuteronomy 28. First few verses there. If they were disobedient, they got all the curses. Verse 15 and following. They got all the, they got all the curses. And, and God goes on and he says, if you'll do this, if you'll do all according to, to, uh, if you'll do according to all that I've commanded thee and will keep uh, my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house, which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all the people. Wow. Wow. Think about that for a second. Think about where we are in the United States right now. Are we a proverb? Are we becoming a byword to people? Like, what is wrong with you people over there in the U.S.? Allowing some of the stuff that we're allowing. It's because we don't keep God's commands, His statutes, nor His judgments. We've departed from those. We're following after other gods, other lawgivers. That's what we're doing. Let me give you an example. This comes from 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here's one of a couple of examples, but this gives you some contrast here between, I'm going to give you a contrast between a couple of men here. The first one is going to be Saul. And again, this comes from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15. Listen to what happens. Samuel also said to Saul, remember Saul is king of Israel. Samuel is the prophet of Israel. The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. So he's going to give instruction here to Saul as to what he's to do as king. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, I know that's a little hard to swallow for some people. Ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them into lame, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Am Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. Now, what did God say to do? He said, utterly destroy them, right? 
There's not, don't leave anything living. Animal, you know, animal, beast, man, woman, child. Don't leave anything alive. They spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. That's kind of an interesting phrase, too, and all that was good. Isn't it interesting how men determine what's good? Yeah, and we go right back to the garden. They determined these things were good, so they were going to keep them. They, they, he chose to do what was right in his own sight. He said, no, thanks, God. I'll determine what's good. They would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuge, that they destroyed utterly. Oh, so they determined what was vile and refuge. See, see how that works? Instead of just going and doing what God said, get rid of it all, they said, no, no, there's some good stuff here. And the vile and refuse they did away with. And then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. Now, God's not repenting, okay, like man does. He has no sin, so he has no need of repentance there. But he's speaking to him in a way that he understands Saul's not a good guy here. Now, God knew he wasn't going to be a good guy. He told them that when before the people or when the people were asking for a king. But it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from me, from following me and hath not performed my commandments. Hmm. Wait, you mean there's commandments to be obeyed and following the Lord? Yeah, there are. Yeah, there are. Well, I thought I just had to believe. Well, believing means that you believe what God said, which means you want to obey him, right? <laughs> I mean, this isn't hard to figure out. It really isn't. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. When Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I did exactly what God said, knowing that he didn't, but that's what he said. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Huh. If you did what God said, why am I hearing all these animals out here? And weren't you supposed to destroy everything? And Saul said, They have brought them. They! You, you, see, the, you see Adam and Eve in the garden here, in Saul. You really do see it. They have brought them from the Amalekites. He's pointing to the people. I was obedient to the Lord, but they, they brought them from the Amalekites. For the people, not me, the people spared the best of the sheep of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we, see he lumps himself in when it's utterly destroyed. We have utterly destroyed. You see how his language goes there? Doesn't that remind you of Adam and Eve? Adam, why did you do this thing? What was the woman you gave me, Lord? Well, okay, Eve, why did you? Well, it was, this, it was the snake over here. It was the serpent. It's constantly passing it off instead of saying, and let me contrast that with David. When David is confronted with his sin, what does he do? Oh, he cries out to the Lord. I, I have sinned greatly. I have done it. See, it's one thing to point the finger at everybody else. It's another thing to say, 
I've got something here. I've got sin that needs to be repented of. There's a lesson there. There's a lesson there. So, he's asked about this, and what do we read? Verse 16, And Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. You know, Saul used to not think very much of himself, even though he was head and shoulders above all his tribesmen. But when he became king, his heart was lifted up. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He's still trying to justify himself. Samuel's trying to show him, look, you didn't obey God. And to just demonstrate his disobedience even more, thinking he's justifying himself, he brings out Agag. I mean, you were supposed to kill that guy. You bring him out and said, we've utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but there's the king. You just brought him out. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. But the people took the spoil of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things, which shall have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice in the Lord thy God in Gilgal. See, it's still the self-righteousness. We, we've been obedient. We've been obedient. But we still got this stuff left from the Amalekites. I mean, it's right there in front of him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And Samuel saith, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You know, what's, what's more important here? Burnt offerings and sacrifices or obeying God? Yahweh. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. You know, Paul talks about disobedience stems from love. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 13. Most people read past that. But he talks about, you know, you can know mysteries and you can understand all prophecies and you can give your body to the flame and you can do all of this stuff. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. You're nothing. And what does love for God show? It shows an obedience towards him, to his commands, to do them, to carry them out. And then he says this. Whoa, this is a big one. Verse 23. For rebellion, now what is rebellion? It is to defy the commands of God and to go your own way doing your own thing, which is exactly what Saul's doing because he's just like his father Adam. Just like him. In rebellion. For rebellion is as the lawlessness or the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Hmm. 
you got a king that's fearing the people and not fearing the Lord, you got a problem. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. See, all of this, the, the, the religious aspect, the, 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 the covenants, faith, all of that is tied to obeying the Lord. And that happens even to the king. This, this applies even to the king. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin, turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie, nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. See, even in the assembly of the people, there's government there. There are laws, there are commands, there are statutes, and there's judgments. And the same thing happens. This is not just with Christianity. This is with any religion. They're going to, the God of that religion, if it's man, he's going to be really whimsical. Because one day he's going to think something is illegal. The next day he's going to think it's legal. One day he's going to think something's lawful. The next day he's going to think something's unlawful. Depends on whatever mood he gets up in in the morning or whatever he whatever happens in his family or whatever he's seeking to hide or whatever. Okay? Now, let's look at a king and we'll contrast him with, uh, with Saul here. This comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And here we read about a young boy who became king. And I want you to listen to what the scripture says about him. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. So he's a, he's a, he's a teenager here. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high above them he cut down. And, he, and the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon and under Naphtali with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves, and had beaten the graven images into powder, he cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel. He returned to Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This guy, by the time he's 20, he has found the book of the law. He has learned what the law says as king. Remember, he had to write out a copy of that, a copy of the law, and keep it with him. And 
make it a part of his daily routine to know that law because he was he was king before God. He was God unto the people, if you'll if you'll have it that way. That's what he represented. He represented the God of Israel. And so he was to uphold the law. And what does he do? Can you imagine this? Can you picture for yourself just for a moment? A man coming to power, say, in the White House, because we don't have kings here. We've got a president we have an, who's an indentured servant. He's not a celebrity. He's an indentured servant to the people. But can you imagine a guy getting that, that place, understanding what the law of God is, and shutting down any attempts for sanctuaries, temples, and such of false gods, that he would go and see that they were destroyed. Just try to picture that in your mind. That's what that would be like. This guy's going throughout the high places and he's tearing down their images. He's tearing down their places of worship. Why? Because there's only one true and living God. And he's given his law, and his law is supreme in Israel. By the way, his law is supreme throughout the earth. This is why kings and rulers are called to bow their knee and to submit themselves unto King Jesus. That's why they're called to do that. Part of us discipling is discipling even kings and those in authority to say, wait a minute, you're to be obedient unto God. You're being disobedient to God. You're sinning against God and to call them to repentance and to instruct them of how they should be conducting themselves. See, real religion, real Christian faith instructs that way and it seeks to live that way. And so when we don't do that, what do we get? Well, we get the stuff we see today that's in the news. We get people like Corrine Jean-Pierre. We get people like Joe Biden. We get people like Donald Trump. We get people like Barack Obama. We get some of these corrupt people that we see throughout uh, the, whether it's the federal government or whether it's in the state governments. We see that. That's what we get when we don't obey God, when we don't uphold his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. That's what we get. We can look here into Ezekiel, and we'll see what God did. There's always, when the, when the, when the prophets go to Israel, whether it's Samuel, whether it's Jeremiah, whether it's Isaiah, whether it's Ezekiel or Micah, or Zechariah, or any of these guys, when they go to Israel, what, is, what are they doing there? They're not going, hey guys, you don't understand the four spiritual flaws, I mean laws. You guys don't understand the Romans road. Of course, that hadn't been wrote, wrote yet, but you don't understand that. Let me give you a track here and show you what needs to happen here. They don't say, hey, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. They don't go there with that kind of message, do they? No, because the law is already in existence. And they're constantly preaching a message of what? Repentance. Repentance. What does Isaiah say? If they don't appeal to the law and the prophets, there is no light in them. Not some light. There is no light in them. If a man will not preach the law and the prophets to Christ, if they won't do that, there's no light in them. If they tell you all that Old Testament stuff, 
I've got Jesus. That is a person who doesn't have any light in them. They, they really don't. You point to the law and the prophets. Why? Because they speak of Christ. So, let's look at what was going on in Israel, and we'll look through the eyes of Ezekiel. Verse 3 of chapter 5. Thou shalt also take thereof a few in number, and bind them in thy skirts. Then take of them again, and cast them in the midst of the fire, and burn them in the fire. For thereof shall a fire can come forth into all of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set it in the midst of the nations and, count and countries that are round about her. And she hath changed my judgments into wickedness more than the nations. In other words, I, you know, I gave her a perfect, I gave her perfect commands. I gave her a perfect law. I gave her perfect statutes. I gave her perfect judgments. But she changed those things into wickedness more than the nations. It's as though she didn't have any light at all. She's, she's worse than the nations. Why? Because she's perverted my commands, my statutes, and my judgment. And he goes on, he says, And my statutes more than the countries that are round about her, for they have refused my judgments and my statutes. They, they have not walked in them. Therefore, therefore what? Because they haven't done, because they've done what they've done with my judgments, my commands, and my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because ye multiplied more than the nations that are round about you, and you have not walked in my statutes, neither have kept my judgments, neither have done according to the judgments of the nations that are round. I mean, you didn't even do what they did. The little bit of light they have. The light of nature. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, even I am against thee and will execute judgments in the midst of thee in the sight of the nations, and I will do in thee that which I have not done, and whereunto I will not do any more the like because of thine abominations. Listen, here in America, the reason we have a pride month, the reason we have the pride parades, the reason we have transgressor, transdelusional, you know, gender mutilation kind of stuff going on, and the like, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes along with it. In the schools, and being shoved in our face, exactly the same thing. We have changed his judgments into wickedness more than the nations, and, our, and his statutes more than the countries that are round about us. For we refused his judgments and his statutes, and we have not walked in them. We've not walked in them. So what are we getting? We're getting the judgments of God. We're getting the judgments of God. Here's another one from Ezekiel. And there's a ton of these in Ezekiel because he's constantly pointing out what the people are doing. I mean, he's warning them of judgment. A coming. This is from Ezekiel chapter 18. And here's, here's what we see. Um, boy, I probably should back up a little bit further, but let's just pick up verse 6. We'll catch it in the middle. And hath not eaten up the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a menstruous woman, and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, hath spoiled none by violence, hath given 
has bred the hungry and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man, hath walked in my statutes, and hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord God. Hmm. If one holds to his commands, right? If one holds to his statutes, if one holds to his judgments and deals truly, he's the one who lives. He'll be the one that lives. And then this text here from Ezekiel chapter 20. And there's so much here that I'm just going to read to you the, the text of the chapter here because over and over again, he keeps going back to this and pointing out their failing to do what he's commanded them to do. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 20, it reads, And it came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Then came the word of the Lord unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Are ye come to inquire of me? As I live, saith the Lord, I will not be inquired of by you. Ooh. Well, that's a little harsh, isn't it? Wilt thou judge them, son of man? Wilt thou judge them? Cause them to know the abominations of their fathers? And say unto them, Thus says the Lord God in the day when I chose Israel and lifted up mine hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob, and made myself known unto them in the land of Egypt, when I lifted up mine hand unto them, saying, I am the Lord your God. And the day that I lifted up my hand unto them to bring them forth of the land of Egypt into a land that I had espied for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. And I said unto them, Cast ye away every man the abomination of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That was the first command. You don't have any other gods before me. Why? Because I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Because I delivered you, you are my people. That's what Peter's talking about when he, re he talks about him redeeming them. Both the elect and the unelect, in a certain sense, were redeemed out of Egypt. They were brought out of Egypt. Where some didn't have faith, but they nevertheless, they were brought out there. And so God was their owner. And as a, as a result, he was their master. He was their king. They owed him their allegiance. Then said I unto them, Cast ye away every man the abominations of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me. And would not hearken unto me. They did not, they did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes. Neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Well, they just kind of put the cloak of the veneer of the worship of the true God, Yahweh, on while they were still idolaters. And I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted before the heathen among whom they were in whose sight I made myself known unto them, in bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. Why did he not dis utterly destroy them? For his name's sake. God's name was on the line here. Wherefore, I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, and I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. Moreover, also, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them, 
that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They walk not in my statutes, and they despise my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. He wants to reiterate that. To obey him is life. And my Sabbaths they greatly polluted. And I said, I would pour out my fury upon them in the wilderness to consume them. But I wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted before the heathen, in whose sight I brought them out. Yes, also I lifted up my hand unto them in the wilderness, that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Because they despise my judgments. See, it always goes back to this. They despise his judgments. They walk not in his statutes, but they polluted my Sabbath. For their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, mine eye spared them from destroying them. Neither did I make an end of them in the wilderness. But I said unto their children in the wilderness, Walk ye not in the statutes of your fathers, neither observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. I mean, what is he saying over and over? Would you people just obey me? How hard is it to obey me? I've given you some simple commands here. You won't obey me. You're bringing judgment on yourself because you won't obey me. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. Keep my judgments and do them. And hallow my Sabbaths. And they shall be a sign between me and you. And ye may know that I am the Lord your God. That I am Yahweh. I am the I am. I am the self-existing one. Notwithstanding the children rebelled against me, they walked not in my statutes. I mean, how many times is he having to say it? If he said it once, you can be sure of it. If he's saying it two, three, four, five times, this is a big deal to God. This is not something trivial. It's not something, you know, that you just slough off and say, oh, well, you know, God, we're all not perfect. We already know that. And yet God calls us to obedience, does he not? Is that not what he's called it? Is that not what he said? That's exactly what he said. This is exactly what he's talking about. Notwithstanding the children rebelled against me, they walked not in my statutes, neither kept my judgments to do them, which if a man do, he shall even, he shall even live in them. Again, he says that. They polluted my Sabbath. Then I said, I would pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. Guys, if you want to finish this up uh, with me, sonsoflibertymedia.com, before it's news.com, Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Bradley be with you at 3, and then Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then. Okay, uh, JFP, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if Brad, I, I didn't get to hear the show yesterday. I caught like the last couple of minutes, so I don't, I don't know if he did that. And I guess if we're on the same page there, then I guess that's the work of God, because I, 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 I don't know. I um, want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. Let's finish up here in Ezekiel chapter 20. We're going to look at a couple more passages, and we'll close out the show. Verse 22, nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted in the sight of the heathen in whose sight I brought them forth. I lifted up my hand against them, <clears throat> excuse me, unto them also in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the heathen and disperse them through the countries because they had not executed my judgments, but had despised my statutes and had polluted my Sabbaths and their eyes were after their father's idols. 
Wherefore, I gave them also statutes that were not good. Oh, isn't that interesting? I gave them, that's the Lord talking, I gave them also statutes that were not good and judgments whereby they should not live. How's he doing that? <laughs> Through their false gods. Through their false gods. The God of society determines the law. I don't care what society you're in. It's theocratic. It's theocratic. Man may be the God of that society and he makes the laws or whatever indoctrination you have, whether it's, again, Buddhism, Shintoism, Islam, communism, whatever the case may be, the God of that society determines the law. Therefore, all governments are theocratic. The question is, are they under the kingship of Jesus Christ or not? If they're not, they're imposters, they're traitors. That's what they are. Why? Because they are not holding up God, his judgments, his commandments, his statutes before the people to do them. And thereby, what? What did he say? Live. And thereby live. So he tells them, <clears throat> excuse me, where was I at? <laughs> I lost my place here. Uh, I don't know where I was, so I lost my place. Um, okay, there it is. Verse 26. And I polluted them in their own gifts, in that they caused to pass through the fire all that openeth the womb. This is the sacrifice to Molech. And indeed, <clears throat> this goes on today in the United States and around the world. We're we haven't learned anything. People are still doing this stuff. That I might make them desolate to the end that they might know that I am the Lord. Therefore, son of man, speak unto the house of Israel and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, yet in this your father's house, or excuse me, yet in this your fathers have blasphemed me, and that they have committed a trespass against me. For when I had brought them into the land for that for the which I lifted up mine hand to give it to them, then they saw every high hill and all the thick trees, and they offered their sacrifices, and their, they presented the provocation of their offering. There also they made their sweet savor and poured out their drink offerings. And I said unto them, What is the high place wherein you go? These high places, they're places of worship. That's what Josiah was tearing down. And the name thereof is called Bama unto this day. Wherefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Are ye polluted after the manner of your fathers, and commit ye whoredom after their abominations? Do you see what's going on? There's a political aspect to your belief system. A governing aspect. And what does God keep calling these people towards? He keeps calling them to come back and obey His commands, His statutes, and His judgments. His governance. Do you get it? The message is to call back to the governance of the God of the people, Yahweh, the lawgiver. It's not just a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual issue at the root of it. Don't get me wrong. It is a spiritual issue at the root of it. But it manifests itself out in the physical. It manifests itself out in either how we govern or how we're rebellious against God's government. Make no mistake about it. If you have been told by a pastor 
to stay out of politics, that pastor has neutered you if you believe him. You are to be involved in it in so much as you call men to obey the king. That's what you do. And when men don't obey, it doesn't matter how much you like them or how much you liked all that. You say, hey, man, you're in violation of the law of God. You need to repent. You keep this up and God's going to deal with you. I mean, that's the reality of what's going on. That's what we see all through the old, old um, covenant. We see that. And again, Paul says that. We looked at this in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says those things are written so that they might be an example for us of what not to do. What not to do. And listen as he goes on here in his condemnation of the people. For when you offer your gifts, when you make your sons to pass through the fire, you pollute yourselves with all your idols, even unto this day. And shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, saith the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. And that which cometh into your mind shall not be at all that ye say, we will be as the heathen and the families of the countries to serve wood and stone. As I live, saith the Lord, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out, will I rule over you. Ooh, ooh. Hang on a second. As I live, saith the Lord, Surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out, will I rule over you? Ooh. I don't know if that makes you tremble or not, friend. He tells Israel it would be his great joy, his great delight to bless them for their obedience. Great delight for the Lord to bless his people in their obedience. But if not, he's going to rule them with a mighty hand, a strong arm, and fury. Yep, God still rules like that too. He hasn't changed. He's immutable. He still rules like that. Don't think that he doesn't. I know some people, you know, they'll pop in and they'll say, oh, you know, that's the Old Testament. No, it's the same God. Still deals with the nations the same way he always has. He goes on and he says, And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there will I plead with you face to face, like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead with you, saith the Lord God. And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge out from among you the rebels, and then that transgress against me, I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, Go ye, serve ye every one of his idols, and hereafter also, if ye will not hearken unto me, but pollute ye my holy name no more with your gifts and with your idols. If you're going to go serve other gods, then go serve them wholeheartedly. Stay away from where I'm at. Stay away from my worship. But if you want to go serve those idols, you go on and, and do it with all your heart. Okay? For in my holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, saith the Lord God, there shall all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, serve me. There will I accept them, and there will I require your offerings and the first fruits of your oblations with all your holy things. 
I will accept you with sweet savor when I bring you out from the people and gather you out of the countries wherein ye have been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the heathen. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which for the which I lifted up mine hand to give it to your fathers. And there shall ye remember your ways and all your doings, wherein ye have been defiled, and ye shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that ye have committed. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have wrought with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O ye house of Israel, saith the Lord God. And we can go on from there. But the point is, is he's saying, if you want to go serve idols, go serve the idols. Just don't come back over here and act like you're serving me either. And if you'll repent, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to bless them. That's what he's, that's what he's telling them. If, if you repent, if you do the commands, the statutes and the judgments, which I've given you, then I'll bless you. I'll bless you. Now, just so you don't think that government disappears because... <clears throat> The old covenant kingdom has been done away with. No, there's a new covenant kingdom. And the king is still reigning, and he still uses men in the government that he has here upon the earth. Now, we've went through this before, but he uses men in this manner. Of course, we had the apostles and the prophets, right? Ephesians 4 says they lay the foundation work, right? Chief cornerstone is Christ. They lay the foundation there. The edifice is build it, being built up. Who's involved in that? Well, we're, we're all being a part of that. And Paul says there's something specific here that we have to have. We have to have men. Remember, we started off with Moses. You need these men to judge, to help kind of do these things. I'm going to go over to Titus chapter 1. And I want you to see what was going on and, you know, what Titus was there to do in the area of Crete that he was in. This is Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Just so you understand that it's, it's also in the New Testament too. An apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Again, who did God promise? I mean, if there wasn't any world around, if there wasn't any you know, creation around or anything like that, who did he promise? We promised the Son. The Father promised the Son. And you can see some of this in the prayer of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 17, which we also have looked at. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause I left thee in Crete. What cause? That thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. Well, what's wanting? Well, you've got to establish the ecclesia there, the church and ordain elders in every city. Okay? Now, I know some, for some people, elders is kind of a strange word. You might affiliate, you might uh, uh, put that with uh, Mormons. You know, the guys who come knock on your door. We had a Jehovah's Witnesses lady knock on the door yesterday. But if you have the Mormons come, they'll say, I'm elder so-and-so, and I'm brother or elder so-and-so, right? And you might have that. Uh, but this is actually a biblical term. It's used even in the Old Testament. 
The elders were the ones who sat at the gates. They were the ones who uh, pre- they made the judgments. They would have been the guy who's guys who sort of moved on from how uh, Moses' father-in-law had told him to do. They would be the guys you know that you'd mostly see throughout the scripture. These elders, and so Paul tells Titus, "I'm leaving you in Crete. You're going to set in order the things that are wanting, and among those are ordaining elders in every city. So you've got to have government there in your city." He says, as I appointed thee. And so what does he say about those guys? Well, verse 6. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, or a bishop, okay, this is the, this is the elder, the overseer, must be blameless as the steward of God. Not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, Sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, you know, those who call themselves Jews but are not, whose mouths must be stopped. Mm. No free speech here for your false teachings. Anybody ever think about that? Why? Because you don't have you don't have free speech to go and violate the law and to speak evil of what God has said is good, or to call that which is good which God says is evil, to teach falsely. That's not free speech. Just so you understand. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Interesting. Set up these people, set up this government here. And he does it again in 1 Timothy. We've looked at this. Chapter 3. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It's the same thing he's talking about to Titus. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And I would ask, how can, how can a man you know, execute his duty as a representative in government if he can't take care of his own house? I mean, if you've got a guy showering with his little girl, Run around sniffing other women and other children and putting his hands all over them. How does how does such a man govern the nation poorly? Oh, he'll govern, but he'll govern poorly. Is that really what you want? No, no, no. We got a guy, Tim. <laughs> He's being persecuted right now in the in the media and in the courts and blah blah. Yeah, you keep on thinking that WWE is real right there, and that's what gets you in trouble. Look for men who have character. This guy is not to be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Then he says this, Likewise must the deacons, the adakonos, the the servants. Mm. Now, if you can't apply the first part here to the guys in office in government, 
who serve the people. If you can't, if you want to apply the first one, you definitely should just apply this one. This is specifically servants, and that's what they are. They must be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also be first proved. In other words, let them show that they're good servants in their lives, in their homes. Look in their homes. That's where you'll see whether or not they'll be a good servant in the public. Look in their homes. If they're not a good servant in, the, the, in their homes, they won't be a good servant in public or the church, by the way. Let them also first be proved, and then let them use the office of a deacon or a servant, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave. Their wives have to have good character too. Why? It's part of the family unit. Has he been washing his water with or has he been washing his water? Has he been washing his wife with the water of the word? Has he been doing that with his kids? Now he can't he can't determine their outcome, but he has a major part to play in that, does he not? Yes. He absolutely does. Even so must our wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. And let these deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. And I'm going I'm to tell you, I'm kind of a stickler for this. It says here in the, of the elders and the deacons, it says they have children. It says they have wives. I think this is the problem within the church that we have single men doing these things. I think it's a problem. Now, sometimes we have widows, men who've been married for some time. They've exemplified these things. So that's a whole different case. But what I'm talking about is a young man who's never been married. Or even an older man who's never been married. Who's never demonstrated these qualities in there. How can you determine whether or not they're fit for the office if they haven't shown themselves that way there? You say, what are you getting at with all this, Tim? I'm telling you, God's commands, His statutes, and His judgments still exist. They're not just religion. They are a way of life. It is the way of life. It is the, is the, is the path that leads. Life. This is the straight and narrow. It goes this way. Well, I thought Jesus was that. Jesus is pointing us to that. He has cleansed the way that we might go there. He has cleansed us of our sin, not to walk in our sin, but to walk in obedience to God. I, I don't know how much, you know, people who just say, well, I'm just, you know, Stuck in my sin or whatever. Well, then do you know Christ? How can you be stuck in your sin and not know Christ or in no Christ? Is he not a deliverer, a savior from sin? And I think this is, this is part of the problem with the church today is she's just fine to wallow in her sin and just say, well, I'm... I'm just sinning, and they go out and keep doing the same things they're doing. They're like the people we read about in Ezekiel. They'll go out to their high places where they worship during the week. They'll give their children to the fire. They'll dance and sing and party to the unknown gods, or to the known gods in some cases. And then they'll pull themselves in on Sunday morning and they go, I'm here to worship the true and living God. Just that, I mean, they haven't learned anything. They haven't learned anything. And yet here we are. Here we are. I want you to listen here. These are the words 
from Second Samuel chapter 22. And um, let me see if I can uh, just close out with this. David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day, that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. My high tower and my refuge, my savior, thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Anybody want to do that in the round? When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I call upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. And he bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. And he made darkness pavilions round about him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Through the brightness before him were coals of fire kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and discomfited them. And the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord. At the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. You know, let me, let me, let me mark my place so I don't miss where I'm at. The one who has been born again will constantly be seeking to follow the Lord. Oh, they might mess up, but they're seeking to follow the Lord. They're constantly pursuing him. Isn't this what David said? Did, did David mess it up? Did he sin greatly against God? Yeah, he did. But he didn't say, well, I done crossed the line. I might as well just keep on with it. God loves me anyway, just like I am in my sin. Nope. That's not what he did. And he's telling you right here, all his judgments were before me as statutes. I did not depart from them. When he's confronted with the violation of God's law, what does he do? Yep, it's me. Confession and repentance. Is that you, friend? When you're confronted with the violation of God's law, when somebody loves you and they take your side and they say, look, you're the man. You're the one doing it. This is what you're doing. Do you seek to justify yourself as Saul did? Well, I, but I didn't do all this other stuff here. Or are you one that says, I'm the man. I'm guilty. I confess my sin and I repent. See, there's a that is that is a form of government governance. 
That is the way God governs his people. Oh my goodness, this is not hard to understand. This is why there needs to be preachers. Not just to save the lost, but to correct those even within the ecclesia. Let's go on. Verse 24. I was also upright before him and have kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore, the Lord hath recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyesight. In other words, David was one who recognized, look, I'm not going out here and just violating God's law all over the place. When you read Psalm 119, you get the idea that David is daily sitting there meditating on what the law of God says. He says, I love it. I love thy law. Because it's right and holy and it shows us who God is. Verse 26. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. Friends, do you remember what it was to be a sinner? Do you remember what it was to be lost and without hope in your sin? indulging yourself in the very things, planting the seeds of your own destruction. Do you remember what that was like? Then you have a certain compassion for those who are in the same situation, don't you? And you want them to know the same God who saved you. And you want that God to do for them what he did for you. And that's why you open your mouth about the gospel. These people that say, well, I don't want to bring religion in the workplace. I don't want to talk about religion around the family or politics. Let me tell you something. Then you're not doing what you're supposed to do. If you don't want to talk about it, it ain't in you to talk about. What are you talking about, Tim? Do you know why most people won't talk about the gospel? The true gospel. The one that calls men from sin. Points them to a savior from sin. Do you know why they won't? Because they don't know it. They, don't, they haven't experienced it, and they don't know it, and they have no care for it. Well, how do you know that, Tim? Because you ask them about their grandkids, and they can tell you all about their grandkids. They can tell you everything that kid does. They can tell you when he eats, when he poops, when he's smiling, when he's talking, when he started walking. They can tell you all this stuff. Or you get a guy, he knows cars, and he'll talk to you all day long about cars. Or you get some the guy who knows about sports, and he'll tell you about all the stats. I mean, insignificant stuff that means nothing in his life or for eternity. But he'll know the players. He'll know how many touchdowns they got, how many yards they got. They can talk about that stuff all day long. And the women are the same too. I'm, I'm just picking on the guys here, us guys. They can do that all day long. But you have them try to engage somebody with the gospel, and they're like, okay, well, what do I need to do here? Or they'll do their fallback. They'll pull out their track and start going through track. I mean, I guess that's something. But it should be in them. Remember what we read out of Deuteronomy 6? It's to be in your heart, and then you're to communicate those things diligently to your children. How can you communicate diligently to your children those things that aren't in your heart? Same thing happens here. Same thing. If it's not in your heart to do it, don't expect anybody else to do it because you tell them to do it. And I, I see a lot of this in the political sphere, by the way. I see a lot of people calling themselves Christians. Never speak about the law of God being brought to bear. And they will support idolaters. They will support those who support the sodomite agenda. They will support those who attack their rights. 
and act like they're not attacking their rights? I've seen all that, and they call themselves Christians. How does that work? I mean, really, how does that work? With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. And the afflicted people, thou wilt save. But thine eyes are upon the haughty. Hmm, KJP. Take a note. The haughty, the prideful. Those who are proud, who think they're something when they're nothing. Look at Herod. It's the voice of a god. Acts chapter 12. And he wouldn't correct the people, but took in that praise and glory for himself, and God smote him, and he died eaten by worms. And the afflicted people thou wilt say, but thine eyes are upon the haughty, that they may us bring them down. Thou mayest bring them down. And for thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop. By my God have I leaped over a wall. I mean, David's talking about, look, I trained in all this stuff, but God's the one who empowered me. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and power, and he maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet, and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken in mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, so that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies, and destroyed them, and turned not again until... I had consumed them, and I have consumed them and wounded them, that they could not arise. Yea, they are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength to battle. Them that rose up against me hast thou subdued under me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They looked, but there was none to save, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them as small as the dust of the earth, I did stamp them as the mire of the street, and did spread them abroad. Thou also hast delivered me from the strivings of my people. Thou hast kept me to be head of the heathen. A people which I knew not shall serve me. Strangers shall submit themselves unto me. As soon as they hear, they shall be obedient unto me. Strangers shall fade away, and they shall be afraid out of their close places. Hmm. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock. And exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. It is God that avengeth me, and that bringeth down the people under me, and that bringeth me forth from mine enemies. Thou also hast lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing praises unto thy name. For he is the tower of salvation for his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, unto David, and to his seed forevermore. Listen, if you call yourself a Christian, you have to understand, politics is not optional. We are in a real battle. There's no question about that. We're in a real battle with those who have other gods, who have other commandments, who have other statutes, and who have other judgments. They're not gods. 
They're a foreign god. I think this is the concept that we need to realize is what's gone on in this land. We have gone from a people established very early on. And again, we see in our constitutions yesterday, we can go back and we can see in some of the compacts and some of the other constitutions that were set explicitly Christian. I mean, it just there's no denying it. And we've gone today to turning words on their heads to try to turn boys into girls, girls into boys, men no longer with men, or with women, but with men, women no longer with men, but with women, thinking life doesn't matter, so, you know, if it's a little inconvenient for you, you can off that life, and gosh, some people are even promoting, you can, you know, euthanize kids up until two or five or seven, or, you know, it's a pretty subjective number. We can kill off the elderly. We'll do what's right in our own eyes. No thanks, God, for your commands, your statutes, and judgment. That's what we're saying. And we need to get that through our head. Why? Because we must take that to those who are supposed to serve us who think now they're our masters. Do you see how it works? When we get deceived, when the church gets deceived, we do the same thing that Eve did, and we give up the inheritance of desire. I mean, we're doing that in a sense. We're setting ourselves up for destruction. And we give away what the Lord has given to not only us, but to those who came before us. We give it away. And as a result of giving away, what are we giving away? Liberty, blessings. What do we take ourselves in? Curses and bondage. Oh, we think we're free. We're like the Jews of Jesus. They are the ones who called themselves Jews. They're really, their father was the devil, Jesus said. But they said, we're in bondage to no man. And they were under the thumb of Rome. They didn't even see their own slavery, their own bondage. Boy, we are in desperate need of the true God, Yahweh, to open our eyes. we Even of his church, we're in desperate need of him to open our eyes to see our situation. And I pray that he would do that because I think it would put the fear of God back in the people of God. And if that was the case, the people couldn't help but open their mouths and hold forth his commandments his statutes, and his judgments. And once again, we would see his blessing come forth if we would but do that. Isn't that what I just showed throughout all of these texts? If we would just obey him, we'll see his blessing. But if we're going to continue on the road of disobeying, all we've got to look forward to is judgment and cursing. That's it. It's pretty simple. Pretty simple. Oh God, grant us the opening of our eyes to see who we truly are and what we're truly in here. And then grant us the power of your spirit. Grant us real, true repentance and saving faith that produces the good works of upholding your commands of your statutes and your judgments and of your king and his gospel. 
Bradley be with you at three. Sons of Liberty Media.com, and then Lord Willing will be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m. Talk to you then.